Well, good morning. Good to see you all today. Uh, will you pray with me as we turn our attention to God's word this morning? Lord God, we thank you this morning that your word never returns void, that it always accomplishes the purposes for which you send it. We thank you for revealing your will to us so that we might know what is right and how to live in a way that pleases you. We thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit who strengthens us by grace to obey you. And Father, we ask that you would be at work this morning through your word and your spirit to encourage and to build us up in the faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in May of 1941, General Mills introduced to the world Cheery Oats, which would be renamed later Cheerios. Joe DiMaggio started a 56-game hitting streak. The German Luftwaffe was uh, executing its blitzkrieg over England, and the British Royal Navy sank a German sub, capturing their code machine, the Enigma. Even though Pearl Harbor was another seven months away, in May of 1941, the world was at war, and... My grandparents got married that month. They would stay married for the next 60 years. Totally awesome. When I was 11, uh, they renewed their wedding vows. We had this big celebration, this big service. I remember being there uh, with them, celebrating. And then a decade later, we had another big celebration for their 60th wedding anniversary. Now, at the time, I wasn't a believer, and it, I didn't really grasp the importance of what was happening. But looking back now, I am super thankful for their picture, their example, their testimony of faithfulness in marriage. Their marriage, just like every marriage, was imperfect. But I'm thankful for their picture of faithfulness. We need those pictures of faithfulness. We need those role models for us. You see, there's a mountain of research out there showing that marriage and family are foundational for a strong and stable society. With the breakdown of marriage and family, we've seen a corresponding breakdown in our society. The benefits of marriage are many. Marriage has a civilizing effect on men. The health and quality of life for both married men and women are statistically higher. Now, I get that, like, married men live longer than, than single men. Uh, women help us not do foolish things, perhaps, and we live longer if we're married. That makes good sense. Children raised in a, a home with a mom and a dad are more likely to attend college. They are significantly less likely to do drugs, to commit crimes, to get pregnant out of wedlock, to uh, get divorced later in life. Marriage and family is a, a great social educator, training both adults and children in civic virtues like honesty and self-sacrifice and personal responsibility and service and respect for others. And all of this has an impact on the entire society. It's why in order to revolutionize a society, you have to first crush the family. And in order to do that, you must crush marriage. But this also means that to strengthen 
marriage and families is to help strengthen society. So I appreciate ministries like Visionary Family Ministries and so many others that are working to strengthen marriage and family. But beyond all of that, more important than any of this, a marriage that follows God's design is a picture of the gospel. It displays the self-sacrificing, covenant-keeping love of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. Jesus came, he lived, he died in our place for our sins on the cross. He rose again from the dead. He conquered sin and death. He purchased a bride for himself. And so we, as his people, are in union with him. And Jesus Christ will never divorce his bride. Amen? So marriage is, this, is designed to be this beautiful picture of the gospel of the covenant-keeping love of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. And this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And today, we're going to see how the laws that God gave to Moses elevated the value of marriage, elevated the value of women. Israel's law provided rights and protection for women that had not existed before. And so the message for us today is this, stay committed and build into your marriage relationship. Stay committed and build into your marriage relationship. Invest in your marriage. I've been praying as I've prepared this message that this message would be an encouragement for you in your marriage. And even for those of you who are single, that you would find encouragement as you think and pray and plan and prepare for a future marriage. Now, our text is going to split into two parts, two unequal parts, verses one through four, and then verse five. It deals with divorce and marriage. We're going to talk about both, but what we're going to see in both of these things is that this text calls us to stay committed to our marriages and to build into them. So let's read our text, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one through five. When a man takes a wife and marries her, If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and he puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled, for that's an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Verse 5, when a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. So let's unpack our text today. The first part we're going to see, uh, elevate and protect your wife and your marriage. We're going to see this in verses one through four. This first part teaches us to elevate women and marriage in general, but to elevate your wife and your marriage in particular. 
So we'll see that in verses one through four, but then we'll also look at Jesus's comments on this passage in the gospel of Matthew. The first thing that we need to notice about this text is it's a giant if-then statement. There's three conditions before we get to the, the command. So we can summarize it this way. If a man divorces his wife for some indecency, verse one, and if she gets remarried, verse two, and if that marriage ends, verse three, then the first husband cannot marry her again, verse four. The only command in this passage is in verse four. The law forbids a husband from remarrying a spouse that he's divorced after she's been married to another man. So the law is not so much dealing with divorce in general as it is a specific case of remarriage after divorce. Nevertheless, there are some things that we can infer about divorce from this passage. First, there must be a ground for divorce, for a divorce. Verse one implies a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found some indecency in her. Now, we're not specifically told what this is, The same exact phrase was used in chapter 23, verse 14, and there it referred to bodily functions that defile. I will just put it that way. It literally means the nakedness of a thing. So in the context of marriage, it must mean some gross indecency or lewd behavior. It's unlikely that this refers to adultery because that already carried the death penalty. Now, even the rabbis argued about what this phrase, some indecency, meant, and two different schools of thought developed in Judaism. The more conservative school of Shammai said, a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her. And the more liberal school of Hillel said, he may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him. For it is written, because he has found in her indecency in anything. In other words, If your wife cooks a meal that you don't like, that's grounds for divorce. It was a terrible meal. I'm done. Now, Jesus is going to take the more conservative side. He, though, is going to limit the ground for divorce to sexual immorality. We'll see that in a moment. The point here is that there must be grounds for divorce. Second, the husband must give his wife a certificate of divorce. It had to be written down, and it had to specify that the wife was free to remarry and it had to be properly witnessed. This took time and effort and this whole process gave the the husband time to consider his actions so that it could not be done rashly. You could easily speak a word in anger rashly, suddenly, right? Like, get out of here, I'm done with you. But this required uh, official steps to be taken so that it couldn't be done rashly. Augustine of Hippo said this, he wrote, the law required this intermediate step that the eagerness for separation might be checked by the writing of this bill and the man might have time to think of the evil of putting his wife away. Third, this written certificate was a safeguard that elevated the value of women. It protected women, how? Well, the certificate was a legal protection giving her the right to marry again. They had to specify that she is, we are divorced and now she is free to go and remarry. It had to be witnessed. There could be no doubt about her status. Otherwise, what could happen is she could be accused of adultery if she went and married somebody else. 
Moreover, until the man gave her this certificate, she was still his wife and he still had the duty of a husband to provide and protect her. It also prevented any claim of further action from her former husband. A capricious man could not send her away and then later demand that she come back. And finally, uh, the first husband may not remarry her once she's been married again. And that too was a protection. How was that a protection? Well, it prevented men from passing women back and forth between each other in a sort of legal adultery, a sort of legal wife swapping, which was not unheard of in the ancient Near East. And so in this way, this law elevates the value and purpose of marriage. It's meant to be a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. Now, verse 4 says that her former husband may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. This simply means that she's out of bounds for me, for for him, the former husband. She's off limits for him. Going from one man to another man and then back again is an abomination to God, most likely because it would be construed as adultery. Now, what's the purpose of this law then? Well, as we've said, the purpose is to elevate women and protect women. It's also to elevate uh, the value and to protect marriage. The Old Testament laws that God gave Moses provided rights and protections for women that did not exist elsewhere. This law would protect women as we've seen, but it also elevates marriage by discouraging hasty divorce, by discouraging even the appearance of adultery. The heart of this law was to point to the permanence of marriage. That's what we learn from Jesus' commentary on our text. So to understand divorce and remarriage, we have to look at what Jesus says about it. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees test Jesus, as they so often did. They come to Jesus with a question in order to test him. And they, they are referring to this law in Deuteronomy 24. They say to Jesus, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They're testing him. Now, because there's two schools of thought, it could be that the Pharisees are hoping that whatever Jesus answers, he's going to alienate the other side and, and therefore sort of tarnish his reputation in their eyes. Or they could be hoping that Herod will kill Jesus because he, he already beheaded John the Baptist for speaking against his divorce. So they're trying to trap Jesus, but Jesus answers by pointing back to the beginning, to God's design for manhood and womanhood and human sexuality and marriage. Jesus says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, only two genders? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Matthew 19, four through six. So they ask Jesus about divorce and Jesus points them to God's design. Jesus makes it plain that God intended marriage as a lifelong union between one man and one woman. So then they said, well, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? They mistook what Moses allowed as a command. And there's a big difference. Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. 
Divorce was never God's intention. Divorce is always evidence of sin and hardness of heart. Marriage is meant to be a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. The trouble is, is that that central truth is being lost in the discussion about divorce. The Pharisees are focused on grounds for divorce. Jesus is focused on the sanctity of marriage. If in this discussion of divorce, we we get focused in on why a marriage covenant can be broken, it's like a soldier training for battle by merely training for retreat. It's like learning how to drive a car by practicing your crashes. You, You don't enter a race with the intention to quit, but to finish. Just because divorce was permitted doesn't mean that it should be pursued. Rather, divorce should be seen as a failure to uphold God's design. And every effort should be made to save the marriage. Jesus will not let them or us miss the point. The main point, marriage is meant to be permanent. And then Jesus said, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Matthew 19, 9. Jesus also comments on how they understood this text in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 31 through 32. Let me read that. Jesus said, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. An improper divorce is a sin. If you don't have grounds for divorce and you divorce, that is a sin. And any subsequent marriage to another person is adultery. It's also adultery for the person that they're with. So let me try to summarize the clear truths that are plain in Scripture and draw some application for us. First, God intends marriage as a sacred union between one man and one woman, and he intends it to be a lifelong covenant. That's why when you get married, you vow so long as we both shall live, not so long as we're both happy or so long as we're both healthy. Second, God's design is to reserve sexual intimacy to marriage between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that is a sin and it's wrong. No matter how good it feels or how much you feel loved, that's God's standard. Three, divorce is permitted but not required on the ground of sexual immorality. I want you to notice, again, it's not a command, it's a permission. Even if you have grounds for divorce, it does not mean that you must or that you should do so. Even for sexual immorality. Look at the gospel. Look at Jesus Christ. Look at what his grace can do. A spouse can repent genuinely. A spouse can forgive genuinely. God can bring healing and reconciliation to a marriage. Yes, yes, it may be a long road. And the greater the sin, the more time and effort that it will take. But reconciliation and restoration can happen. Amen? 
The other ground for divorce in scripture is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. If an unbeliever is, is willing to live with a Christian spouse, then they should stay married, right? So you have a, a, a believer and an unbeliever. If the unbeliever is willing to stay married, then the Christian should stay married to them. That's because the Christian has a sanctifying influence on them. And the hope is, is that they'll lead them to faith in Christ. But 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, a brother or sister is not enslaved. So there are two clear grounds for divorce laid out in scripture, sexual immorality and abandonment. Now we could talk about whether or not abuse constitutes abandonment of a spouse, but we don't have time for that in this sermon. There may be a case where the elders deem a a persistent pattern of physical abuse or some kind of uh, abuse as abandonment, uh, as an evidence that this person is not a believer, Uh, but all of those things need to be handled carefully and on a case-by-case basis. Fourth, divorce in itself is not always sinful. Sometimes it's permitted. However, it is always caused by sin, either the sin of sexual immorality or abandonment or the sin of an improper divorce, a divorce without proper grounds. Five, if divorce is permitted, then remarriage is also permitted. If there was lawful grounds for divorce, then it's lawful to remarry. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it is wise for you to do so. Sixth, if divorce is not permitted, then any subsequent marriage to another person is adultery. This is because they should not have been divorced in the first place. They should still be married. So for them to become one flesh with another person is to commit adultery. In that case, for those who are wrongfully divorced without biblical grounds, they should try to be reconciled with their ex-spouse if they're still unmarried. Or they should stay single. You should not get remarried after an improper divorce. That raises the question, well, what if someone's already in a sinful second marriage? Well, those who got remarried after a wrongful divorce should stay married, but repent and be forgiven for their sin. God's grace and forgiveness covers your sin, but your repentance must be real. It is no small matter to shatter what God has joined together or to enter into an adulterous second marriage. That's not a small thing. Yes, there is mercy and grace and forgiveness for you, but your repentance must be real. If you got remarried sinfully, the solution is not to add the sin of another improper divorce on top of that. Instead, it's to make your current uh, marriage your number one ministry, your number one priority. And wherever needed, you go back and you make amends with anyone that you hurt with your sinful divorce. Your ex-spouse, your kids, your parents, your in-laws, whoever it might be. Lastly, if you're rightfully married, stay committed and build into your marriage relationship. I want to emphasize that there is value in staying married, even in a difficult marriage. I want to make that point clear this morning. Why? Why is there value in that, even if your marriage is difficult? What's the purpose of that? 
It's because it displays the self-sacrificing, covenant-keeping love of Christ for his bride, the church. It's a picture of the gospel. You see, we often assess the value of marriage on the benefits that it brings to us. That's a pragmatic assessment, not a theological one. Yeah, marriage brings blessing for, for you in a godly marriage, but the ultimate purpose of your marriage is God's glory and the display of the gospel. Why is that important? It's important because it gives you a reason to stay in the marriage and to keep fighting for it and pursuing the relationship that is outside of yourself, outside of your own personal self-interest. It allows us to say something like this, you know what, though there might not be very much in this marriage right now for me, staying faithful honors God. My commitment displays the steadfast covenant-keeping love of Christ for the church. And so it's worth it. Do you see that? If you're married, guard your marriage, build into it. And that's leading us now into point two. Establish and invest in your wife and your marriage. Establish and invest in your wife and your marriage. Stable marriages, solid marriages, they don't just happen. They take effort. They have to be built on solid foundations. We're gonna see this in verse five. Look there with me. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home for one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. I think it's so fitting that this law follows the previous one because it suggests that the divorce may not have happened. It could have been prevented if their marriage had been firmly established from the beginning. You don't build a house without laying a solid foundation. And the same is true of a family. The point of this law is plain. It's to give newly married couples time to invest in and establish their marriage. This law, though short and sweet, shows that the family is crucial for society. How do I, how do I see that? The family is so important that it exempts a man, a newly married man, from both military duty and civic duty for a whole year. Both of which, military and civic duty, those are both for the nation's good. But he gets exempted from those things. Why? Because establishing a solid marriage and starting a family is good for society and the nation as a whole. The family is such a crucial good for the health and stability of the nation that the man is exempt from both military and civic duty for a year. Now, because the health of a society depends on the health of marriages, support for marriage in general and for newlyweds in particular should be a matter for the church. And dare I say the state. The state has an interest in supporting biblical marriage. But so many of our laws undermine it to the detriment of our society. And the church especially should help couples start their marriage right. It's why at GFC, we will not marry you unless you go through and spend with us as pastors a significant amount of time in premarital counseling because we want to give you the best start possible as you enter into your marriage. 
Look, everybody, everybody brings baggage into their marriage, right? We want to work through as many issues in advance so that it's a suitcase that you bring, not a U-Haul. We want to ground you and get you established as you enter the marriage covenant. As a church, we want to be checking in on each other in our relationships, our marriages, because every marriage needs encouragement along the way, especially newlyweds. There are several young married couples in our church. Praise God. Praise God for that. I love that. You young marrieds, find an older godly couple to mentor you. And I just love that this is happening in our church. I want us to press into this ministry. And if you are an older godly couple, then consider mentoring someone who's behind you in the faith. It is amazing to me what a blessing it is, what an encouragement and a challenge it is when you're mentoring a younger couple. It challenges you to retune your own marriage. I can't tell you how many times me and Sarah have been talking with a young couple and we're like, man, we really need to work on this. Let's press into this ministry as a church. Verse five says, he shall be free at home for one year to be happy with his wife. Now, the verb here is actually better translated so that he can bring joy to the wife that he has married. That's how the CSB, NASB, NIV and the footnote in the ESV translate this as a better translation here. The man is left free so that he can invest in his marriage relationship in order to bring joy to his wife. Now, that is a stark contrast from the previous passage where the man's own self-interest led to divorce This husband is pursuing a God-honoring marriage and he's pursuing his wife's joy. You see, a husband's leadership is not a self-serving leadership. It is a benevolent, sacrificial leadership that seeks his wife's good ahead of his own. It's like Christ. Men, this should be the tone and tenor of your leadership at home. You are to serve and cherish and nourish your wife, the Bible tells us. I love the the Christian life. This is another example of how the Christian life, the ethics that we follow as Christians, it's upside down. It takes the world's values and it flips them on their head. The way to find joy in your marriage is serving each other. It's not being served. That's upside down to the world. Now again, this is the whole point of this law is to promote the health and growth of a new family. The farmer knows that if you want the harvest, you have to do the work of sowing and watering and weeding. You don't get the fruit of a flourishing marriage without the effort of investing in it. However, we know that if we do invest in our marriage, God will bring the fruit. Think about this. God has said, this is God, let marriage be held in honor by all, Hebrews 13, 4. God has said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Do you really believe that God will not honor your efforts? Will he not rather bless them if you invest in your marriage? 
Don't doubt that God will bring fruit in your marriage when you pour into it. He wants to do that. He wants to bring that blessing in your marriage. Only remember that there's always a delay between sowing and reaping so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Virtually every marriage goes through seasons of real struggle and pain. And that reinforces for us the importance of laying solid foundations from the start. But it also means that most marriages will need some encouragement, some help, some support working through things along the way. So don't wait until your marriage is in crisis. Many people wait too long to get the help and the support that they need. That's what we find. By the time they come to us, it's, you should have come six months before, a year before. Don't wait until your marriage is in crisis. If your marriage is struggling or if you're beyond that and you're contemplating divorce, please come and talk to one of us as pastors. The fact that marriages go through seasons of struggle, it reminds us that we cannot coast in our marriage. We can't put our relationship on autopilot. We have to continue to investing uh, time and effort into it if our relationship is going to work properly. So stable marriages, they don't just happen, they take effort and they need a solid foundation. What are some of those foundations? What are some of the things you can do to invest in your marriage to make it strong? And I think you're gonna be really wowed here by some of the things that I put on this list because they're just crazy and outlandish things. Number one, pray together. Every day. Even if it's just at the end of the day before bed. Stay in God's word. Have family devotions and take time to share with your spouse what God is teaching you in your own personal devotions. Our text calls us to invest time Spend time together, take walks, go out on dates, have fun, spend time talking. And let me just remind you that the better part of communication is listening, active listening. Encourage each other. Make sure your words are building up your spouse according to their need. Because no husband or wife is perfect, healthy marriages require lots and lots of grace. It requires us to be ready to apologize, to repent, ready to forgive, ready to reconcile. It requires we persistently extend grace in in responding to each other's faults and failures. And don't focus on faults and failures. Focus on what you're thankful for your spouse and tell them, tell them. Don't just think, oh, I'm so thankful for this to yourself. Go tell them. Regular intimacy is vital to a healthy marriage. It's a safeguard against temptation, Proverbs 5, 15 through 20, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. And lastly, look for ways to serve one another. I told you this list was gonna be outlandish. Marriage is one of God's greatest blessings. Don't take it for granted. Build into it, invest in it. Teenagers, I encourage you to look forward to marriage. It's awesome. I don't want you to listen to the world. They're going to tell you that marriage isn't worth it. Don't buy that. That's not true. Marriage is such a joy. It's such a blessing when we do it God's way, when we follow God's design. No, there's no perfect marriage. 
but it's still one of the greatest gifts of God. So even now, you should prepare for your future marriage. How? Very simple. Focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Focus on growing into a godly young woman or a godly young man. Because of the current state of our society, living out a true biblical manhood, womanhood, and marriage, these are opportunities for us as Christians to display a countercultural witness. It's an opportunity to show the world the beauty and the joy of God's design. His design for, for men and women and marriage. But more than that, it's an opportunity for us to put the gospel on display for the world. To show them the self-sacrificing, covenant-keeping love of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. Now, all of this, all of these things that we're talking about today, we do that by the grace of God. We are strengthened by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So let's ask God to help us right now, shall we? To live out his design in our marriages. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of marriage and family. We thank you for your good design. We thank you for the joy and blessing that it brings to us. Thank you for the call to stay married and to build into our marriage relationships. God, I just pray right now for those marriages that are struggling. Would you bring repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation and healing where it's needed? God, would you bring renewed hope and sustaining grace? Would you help us to invest in our marriages, God? Bring encouragement, bring growth and closeness and unity would you fill our marriage with love and joy and peace by the Spirit? God, we want our marriages to be a beautiful display of the gospel. This love of Christ for his bride, the church. Would you do that work in our marriages by your Spirit for your glory? God, we ask that and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.